Today's interview is with Giustino Riccio. For almost 30 years now, Giustino has played the timbales in the Richmond, Virginia-based salsa band, Biorhythmo. And more recently, he has been studying, experimenting, and crafting some amazing pizzas, first for a friend in a restaurant, then as an extension of the Galley restaurant here in Richmond. Now Giustino is gearing up to share these pizzas with friends starting in mid-April via a joint venture with his spouse, Ellen Cockerham Riccio, a symphony violinist, offering violin and pizza for small groups. Giustino is one of those folks who you can tell is motivated by passion and a need to experiment and to understand. And as a result, this conversation not only takes us through his history, but also some of the findings of such experiments along the way. I had a great time talking with him, and I think you will enjoy hearing our conversation as well. Enjoy. You're a musician. You've played with Biorhythmo. Uh, you play percussion. What do you play specifically? Just everything? or? Um... Uh, well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I, in Biorhythmo, I mainly am the timbale player. In like a typical traditional salsa band arrangement, you would have like a few percussionists, um, timbales, and then congas, and, and then the, the bongos. Uh, those are the three. And then a guy like playing guido or maracas. And so there's a lot of percussion, and it's kind of assumed in the salsa world that guys that can play one can play all of those, you know? Um, so you have to have chops in all of them, but I am mainly a timbali player. I mean, that's as far as with Bayrima, that's the thing that I love to play the, the most, you know, you were you from New Jersey, correct? That's right. Originally. Yeah. But I've been so when did, down here for a good while. Yeah. When did you move to Richmond? I moved to Richmond in 1992. But that was not from New Jersey. That was actually from Charlottesville. I moved with my mom, you know, like it was classic parents get divorced and my dad's still in New Jersey, but my mom, her family's originally from down here. So we moved down here to be closer to her, like her family. And that was uh, in 85, man. So, you know, I was like, wow. grew up in Jersey city. That's where I'm from originally until I was 12, you know, 13. And then moved uh, to Charlottesville, so a major change for me. I moved to Richmond in 92, and I moved here to join Bioritmo. Like, that was the deal. Oh, cool. Like, yeah. Had they I played the show friend. in Charlottesville or something? No, it's funny. I mean, they may have. I didn't see them. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they, Bioritmo started in 91, so they were about a year old. Uh, my friend Gabo, I don't know if you know Gabo Tomasini. He lives in New York now, but he's from down down this way. Um, we were friends in Charlottesville in high school. We kind of had this interesting group. We actually had a band. It was my first band. You know, he's Puerto Rican and, you know, I'm Italian from Jersey City and he was from up north. And so we kind of started our own little group at high school of, you know, guys that weren't from Charlottesville, basically, <laughs> you know, right. we had like these two brothers from Kenya and uh, a couple other guys from like Latino guys, like we was just like kind of the outcast, I guess, you know, and, uh, he moved to Richmond to go to VCU and, uh, and he ends up playing in Bioritmo. A year later, they needed a timbale player. He and I kind of learned how to play the Latin percussion together in Charlottesville. Like his mother had an awesome record collection of like great Puerto Rican salsa and stuff. And so we would sit around and listen to records, all her old vinyl and play like congas and bongos and timbales. So that's how we learned. I had no idea I was going to end up being in a salsa band, even though I loved it. You know, I thought, you know, I got into playing drums to play like basically hardcore and punk and stuff 
and to try to be like Keith Moon, you know. I mean, that was like <laughs> it's yeah, I still like it's still hard for me to 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 not overplay because of Keith Moon, you know, it's a challenge, but <laughs> How did you go from punk and hardcore to playing salsa? What was the allure? Definitely missed it when I moved to Virginia. Like in Jersey City, I had a lot of neighbors, kind of a Italian neighborhood. I lived in, in Greenville, Jersey City, the, the section of town. And uh, it was old school, a lot of Italians, uh, Polish people. And then like, you know, a lot of Puerto Ricans uh, in, in the neighborhood and, and all around. And so... Always hearing it. I think I heard mostly merengue, which is not my particular, my personal favorite style of. I mean, I love merengue. Don't I hope I don't want to upset anybody, but um, it's not what I like to play the most. I like more like salsa and merengue is a different rhythm kind of. We can talk about that if you want, but it's it's going down a rabbit hole definitely. Uh, but yeah, and so but I missed it. I missed. I I definitely loved it. Uh, I've always been uh, like interested in different kinds of music anyway, but it definitely felt like something that was missing for me when I came down to Charlottesville. Didn't hear that anymore. Like I didn't dig the radio. I didn't dig the like, you know, Southern rock mm-hmm. and that I was hearing in Charlottesville and like that UVA sound. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. I bet. Yeah. I, really. It was just by chance. Cause Gabo, came here he met a bunch of guys uh jorge negron and and ray alvarez and you know jim thompson and they were getting just getting into i mean they were always into the music but they were getting into making it themselves and the short story is ray who is now still 30 years later so 30th anniversary this year for the band it's crazy um ray was the timbali player and then he was moving to New York. So, he, you know, he quit the band. And that's why I came in to play timbales. And then a few years later, he moved back, tried to kick me off the timbales. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't. But he um, he was like, well, you're playing timbales. I'll sing. And he's turns out he's an incredible singer, you know, and, and songwriter and artist. You know, he's just an all-around very creative, talented person. So, uh, but yeah, that's why I got in the band. And it was just like because of friends, you know, we were all friends. So 92 going towards today. Um, I'm going to assume that you probably ended up working like most musicians in a lot of restaurants. Yep. That's exactly it. Uh, <laughs> it was the easiest thing. You know, I was a dishwasher, still my favorite job. I would, I, you know, I love washing dishes. Uh, <laughs> it's like, but yeah, yeah, my first job was in Charlottesville in a restaurant. Like I was like 15 and got a job washing dishes. And it's one of those things where they were like, hey, we need somebody to clean the calamari. And I was like, well, I've never done that. And like, well, you're going to do it now, you know? And uh, kind of got forced into cooking, you know? <laughs> when did you start making pizza? Pizza was, other than like the stuff that, like what they call grandma pizza that, I definitely tried my hand at younger and stuff that my family would have. Uh, when I tried to make like real, whatever, I guess you would call it New York style at the time, New Jersey style uh, from what I remembered, was at a place on the north side. I worked for Andrew Vishnevsky, um, still a good friend of mine, a place called American Bistro. Andrew's from New Jersey, so he had a, a real idea of what he wanted, you know, like, yeah, he kind of really taught me how to, like, shape a pizza, you know, like how to make a round pie. 
up till then I'd like messed around at home, but there were like certain parameters, you know, that I had to meet to make these pizzas somewhat attractive. <laughs> I got really into it. It was like my favorite thing to do. And I, you know, I started that job as a dishwasher, you know, and then you get moved up to salads and then, uh, yeah, eventually started doing other things there and, and making the pizza. And I really got into making the dough. Like that's the thing. It's the dough. Uh, I guess most people realize that by now, that people like me who are obsessed with pizza and bread in general, mm-hmm. the real obsession is the dough. I mean, like, I'm not obsessed about pepperoni, for instance. You know what I mean? Like, the cheese. I mean, that stuff is very important to a pizza, but it's the dough that you get all caught up in and drives you insane, good and bad. It's weird because a lot of the original pizza places, they were also bakeries, like like. Like in New York and and that kind of thing, they were like dual purpose. You know, they'd bake rolls, they'd bake like long roll breads. And, um, and then they'd also make these pizzas. As far as like when you're kind of coming up with this pizza for Andrew, um, was he like, use this stuff or did you just have to like come up with your own recipe? No, in that case, he had a recipe. He had like a, it was like a, it's like so different from what I'm doing now. Um, mm-hmm. And he's awesome. He came to Galley a lot when I was making pizza there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think he likes my pizza that I, you know, that I make now, but it was different. It was uh, like the, the dough was a, a different style. It was different kind of yeast and still the same idea. But um, yeah, I didn't really know. You know, I just did what he told me to do. As far as make pizza, I mean, everything else I gave him a hard time about. But pizza, yeah, just tell me what to do. No. Uh, but, yeah, it was um, – I learned a lot. He taught me a lot. And um, then I just started getting more and more into it. But you're exactly right. I mean, you know, in New Jersey, there was – in Hoboken, my aunt used to go to Antique Bakery, which is now in Jersey City, actually. They moved. But places like that, uh, you know, their their bread is great. And places like that would make pizzas on some days or, you know – certain times and that's kind of my dream like i don't i don't know if i ever want to own a brick and mortar to be honest with you like i thought i did now i don't know if i do because it's just i don't know if i want to go down that road anymore but if i did it i don't think i would want it to be like really a pizzeria i would want to kind of be more of a general bakery where i make pizza and like other italian type specialties or whatever you know but yeah it was at galley i was working there i was um waiting tables it was actually my first job waiting tables, you know, and it was a great, I love everybody there. It's a great place. And I guess I did all right waiting tables. It was never my favorite thing to do. I always wanted to kind of be in the back, you know, I don't really like being up front, but then when they were opening the place next door, Manny, they knew that I was into pizza, you know, and I've talked about it all the time. And they asked me if I wanted to come up with a recipe for that place. That's when I really learned because I basically had like six months and they were so generous with like, hey, whatever you, however you want to make it, you come up with your recipe. They didn't really tell me it had to be a certain way, you know. And I just mm-hmm. researched like crazy the same way I would have researched about music, you know, the same way I learned how to play salsa music, you know. There wasn't the internet when I was learning about salsa music. I just listened to records over and over again, you know, and watched Tito Puente on VHS, you know. I just did a lot of research on Neapolitan style, New York style, and I decided that with the ovens we got, once we got the ovens, which were really good Blodgett kind of deck ovens, classic like New York style ovens, um, I I knew I had to sort of try to find a hybrid because I really like Neapolitan style too. So that's what I did, and I just 
I learned a lot about dough and yeast and fermenting, and now I'm like into fermenting everything. I'm insane about just fermenting anything, you know, experimenting with that stuff. It's like mad, mad scientist type of lifestyle, which I find appealing, apparently. So your dough at um at Galley when you were doing that were were you fermenting that? Well, yeah, in in the sense that it was I started with a biga, which is what they refer to as a pre-ferment. So you have like uh you know, it wasn't sourdough. I I make sourdough stuff, but in this case what you do is you take a little bit of commercial yeast, it can be any kind. It can be cake yeast or active dry or instant dry. I was using instant dry and you take a very small amount just as much as you need you know too much yeast is not good for flavor or for your stomach or anything like that and then um you pre-ferment yeast flour and water for you know 14 16 18 hours depending on the hydration mm-hmm. essentially that ferments then you add that pre-ferment to the mixer, and if you have a mixer, the next day when you're making the actual batch of dough. So there's like, say, 20 to 30 percent what they call biga, and a biga is the same thing as a poulish, except it's less hydration. Um, you sound like you know about bakery, so I figured you might know these things. So a um, little bit. It's an interest of mine, especially like like pizza fascinates me to a certain extent. Which um, yeah, it, 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 and so when you're getting into galley. So if you'd wanted to do the Neapolitan thing, there you need a higher heat oven, yeah, and it's exactly. like a, it's a like quick cook. With these, I, th- I think they're gas fired. Um, yeah, so like your, what your top heats around like six hundred something, or do they go higher than that? No, that was about it. Really, sometimes you know, six. if if you weren't opening the door too much, it could get up to six twenty five usually. So um, and so you came with this hybrid. Yeah. That's almost like what the. Uh, that uh, have you heard of that place, Lucali and um, yeah, New York. yeah, um, like yeah. he kind of came up. It's almost like a hybrid too of like this half half New York slice, but then kind of like some of the same ideas behind like a Neapolitan or something like that. But but tailored, right. I think, for like a longer cook. So like, exactly you, that you know that's a weird thing when when you start doing something that you love, but as a job. How was that for you, yeah. like? now doing that but in your job it's like anything else you know it's really uh it's mostly you love it and sometimes you hate it it's usually the extremes for me you know Uh, i never felt indifferent about it i had to go into work at 6 a.m to check the dough because i was obsessed you know Uh, and i kind of hated that i had to do that but i did it because i loved it (laughs) you know that's how it is uh if i didn't care I probably had maintained my sanity a little better, but at the same time, it wouldn't have been as good. So it's a trade-off. But overall, it was great. I mean, like I said, they were really cool. They let me do pretty much anything I wanted. You know, I don't have a mind for business, you know, so they Mm kind of handled that, and I just created whatever I could come up with that I thought would be good, and hopefully people liked it. But, but yeah, it was... um, it, it could be stressful, you know. I kind of think I created a lot of the stress myself because I got really, really obsessed with it and sort of like couldn't handle when something wasn't good, you know. And mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like playing a gig, you know. Sometimes it doesn't go well and you can't like, it's not worth it to ruin the experience for everybody else just because you think it wasn't a good product or a good gig or a good pizza, you know. I right, right. like that word product, but you know what I mean. So, 
Yeah, you just kind of have to like learn how to deal with it and and accept your failures and your mistakes and not beat yourself up over it and then kind of become an impossible person in the process. So I felt like I was kind of could have turned into that. And that's kind of one of the reasons I was like, I got to get out of here. You know, (laughs) it wasn't really Mm -hmm. like them. It was more me. I was like, I don't like how I'm getting. I don't want to be like unhappy and I don't want to be, I still wanted to play music, you know, like, you know, maybe I wanted too much of everything, but I still wanted to be able to like play gigs when, you know, it wasn't ever going to be like it used to be where we were playing all the time, but 70 hour a week, like working is, is a little much for me, you know, like as far as I can't really do anything else, you know? Yeah. And when you have that demand on you, it also kind of, I mean, I had a similar thing happen when I was younger. I I, I was a recording engineer and and I definitely get what you're saying about like, you know, you're going in at 6am to check the dough, not so much, I mean, yeah, you have to, but also you're obsessed. Like, yeah, that was I can't the kind sleep of approach I, don't I go. took. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I took it to recording, and, you know, I was just in it 100%. And, man, like, my personal ability to make music as a musician went away. Like, it was just yeah. like that was all I was doing. And it was all I wanted to do, which is weird because I wanted to theoretically do other things. <laughs> But yeah, like, no, you're yeah. in a pursuit of passion like that, and you have this this outlet for it, it's kind of hard to, like, regulate yourself, <laughs> you know? Like, it's real easy to just not give yourself a break. Totally. So when you, stepped, when you stepped away, did you take a break from making pizza, or did you... Because I know you, you got back into it, and you're, you know, making all this great stuff you're putting on your Instagram. I yeah, I basically took a break. I mean, I had been, I had this, I have this oven that I'm still currently using. It's a rock box. You may have seen these things. It's mm-hmm. a small outdoor thing, and you know, it, it essentially mimics like a real wood-fired oven. This happens to be propane, but it gets up to over 900 degrees if you want it to be that hot. I don't usually, I don't usually crank it that high, but so I had that, and I was using it here and there. But yeah, I definitely did step back, step away, you know, from the whole day-to-day obsessiveness thing about it for for at least a few months but it is kind of ironic that right after i left galley i'm pretty sure it was yeah like the next month i went to the pizza expo in vegas for the first time yeah this guy this this awesome person brian spangler i love this guy he's um he owns one of the best pizzerias in the country a, a pizza shoals out in portland oregon Mm-hmm. And he had reached out to me on Instagram because he saw the pizzas I was making at Galley. And we were just like chatting on Instagram about pizza here and there. And he was like, man, your pizzas are great. Why don't you, you should come to the expo this year. And I was like, I never thought of myself as that kind of like expo kind of guy, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> to go to any kind of an expo. I was like, I was like, I don't know, you know, but he was like, yeah, it's fun. And he kind of described it to me and it did kind of sound like fun. And then my friend Massimo, who I wanted to mention anyway, who owns, um, he, in Brooklyn, he's, he's actually moving in the space next door, but he owns a place called Lindustry Pizzeria. It's amazing. He kind of, oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Massimo. He's a great guy. And we've actually done a little work. Like I went up there and we made some focaccia together last year, a year and a half ago, I guess. I lost track of this last year. Like everybody, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, about a year and a half ago. And, uh, he he does a great job at sort of he's kind of making like it's not New York style you know it's like 
Roman New York style, you know, but it's amazing. Right. Uh, definitely highly recommend it. But yeah, getting back to, to Brian, um, who's a big Guar fan, by the way, he was like, when he heard I was from Richmond, he was really excited. Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, he's a real cool dude. And he got me to go to the expo. Like he, yeah, he just was like, let's go, we'll hang out. And we did. And it was, and it was a lot of fun, man. Uh, you know, like I didn't really know what to do with myself because I didn't know, you know, it's like any time you're a new kid on a block, you don't really know anybody. I mean, he definitely was introducing me to people, but he was really busy because he's like up on the panels talking about dehydration and yeast. And, you know, he's like, man, really wise. So that's the first thing I did when I left Galley was go to the Pete Expo and sort of, sort of got like intimidated by it all, by the prospect of like, the big business and all the people that were there demonstrating. And, but at the same time I was like, this is fun. And I, and I still love pizza, you know, like I loved all the pizza I was trying, like all the different styles. So that kind of, I think inspired me a little bit to like stick with it. And yeah, I just kind of been, I found, man, I still am obsessed with it, with the process about how long it takes for the dough to ferment and what flavors different, combinations of flour bring out and you know if i'm doing sourdough then what hydration of sourdough uh what the hydration how that changes it you know if it's like a liquid sourdough or like a more of a maybe the madre kind of thing you know like the, all the different things that just can influence it i got a mock mill you know one of those like small grain mills in my kitchen now so i can like mill my own flour you know oh my yeah it's cool i mean you know very small scale you know but it's really cool to experiment but i'm not you know i'm just making it for us and like people i know so far except i don't know if you've seen uh, my wife is a great violinist and um she started a thing called backyard violinist last summer covid thing happened uh you know um, she plays in a symphony but the symphony had to take a break and so yeah, she's like she started these gigs. It got really popular. She was really busy last summer playing in people's yards for like two, three, five people. You know, families socially distanced outside. It's really great. And so now she's seeing that I'm still into pizza, but I can't get my act together as far as like what kind of business I want to do. So she's mm-hmm. kind enough to sort of uh, incorporate me into her thing. And so um, this spring and summer we're gonna do sort of like pizza in a concert thing where she'll play violin and I'll make pizzas for people. So oh, this wow. is my first venture kind of back into like any kind of business with it, you know, but luckily yeah. she's got the brains and she's handling that, that part of it. I just have to make the pizza, you know, when I look over your Instagram, it's like, you have a style, but like you vary around in that area a lot. Like, um, those huge crust ones that you were doing recently. Yeah, um, those are fun. Those looked insane. And like, I mean, you can tell that you love dough. Yeah. But like, what what is the thing that's kind of like nagging you right now that you're like trying to like... Well, I might not know what it is. There's definitely something out there that I think I'm trying to achieve. For a long time, it was with the rock box, the oven that I'll be using this summer. I only recently feel like I figured this thing out. I've had it for years. And of course, I wasn't using it that much when I got it because I was still working at the restaurant. But things can go really wrong in that thing because it takes about 90 seconds to cook, you know. So in a gas-fired oven, you put the pizza in, you go take a cigarette break. No, I'm just kidding. But you don't have to watch it. 
<laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it takes about at least seven minutes for that thing to cook. But with with this oven, like a wood-fired oven, you know, they cook a lot faster. And it really depends on, I was nailing down the hydration. You know, the higher the heat, the lower the hydration, in my opinion. I mean, you can achieve good results with higher hydration doughs in really hot ovens. But generally speaking, uh, the lower the temp, you want higher hydration, more water. And the hotter the oven, it can be better to have a lower hydration dough. So... I've been working on that, just the flour combinations. I just, I don't know. It's one of these curses where I'm never really happy with anything. Right. So, you know, and that was true of music. You know, that was like, I never liked the way I sounded. No matter what anybody else said, I'd be like, ah, I think I sound like crap, you know. So it's my personality. Well, um, it drives you to keep working and experimenting and, like, coming up with new stuff. With that oven, do you have to, like, manipulate the pie, like, the entire time you're cooking it, basically? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was telling somebody the other day who was uh, starting to experiment with one. I said, you know, depending on the temperature, you basically have 20 seconds before you have to make the first turn. Like, once you put it in, you can basically count to 20, and you got to turn it. Because the oh, wow. back is already burned. Like, that's how sweet. But that's the hardest one is the first turn. Because the reason why it's hard is the, um, the dough's not really set yet all over. So the right. back of it is ready to be turned. But meanwhile, the rest of it is still kind of floppy. It's not, you know, it hasn't cooked all the way. So that's the dangerous time when you have to, like, turn it when it's not really set. The dough hasn't set. Um, and then, yeah, and then it is pretty much almost a constant turning to, to keep it relatively even. I love it. I love it now. Like, I've gotten used to it. And so now it's like, no problem. Well, I mean, there's always a problem, but... <laughs> right. If, if all goes well, it's, there's no problem. Um, Ideally, like, case-wise, what are you preferring as far as, like, the different methods? Because, I mean, you see a lot of folks, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, you should only do wood fire. You should only do coal mm-hmm. fire. And then there's people like... Mm-hmm. Defara that are you know just using gas ovens and like yeah he's just knocking it out like what's your favorite like from a taste what perspective yeah it's tough man I like aspects of all of them I think one thing is I I love the way the Neapolitan dough tastes I love you know as you can see from my pictures on there I love charring you know I don't like Mm -hmm. to burn it but I like some charring people see charring and they think oh that's going to taste burnt but actually if the dough has the right amount of sugar, which I don't mean sugar, like I'm, I don't put sugar in my dough, but the natural sugars, you know, uh, right. things that come out of when the enzymes and the yeast and bacteria collide. And there's that caramelization of, of the of the crust. And so, like, you know, even the darker spots taste really good. They don't taste burnt. Um, so I like a little bit of that. The thing is, with Neapolitan style pizza, you, there's a tendency for it to not be able to get crispy. And that's one of the things I've been working on for so long because I do like crispy crusts, you know, mm-hmm. uh, more like it would be in an oven that was at a lower temp. That's why I, I was really happy with what I came up with at Galley because it actually got crispy. And so you'd have some charring, uh, but the rest of it would be crispy too. There was no flop like, you know. The whole thing was crispy, like even the bottom. And I love that. Right. And and that is, I think it is achievable with a hotter oven like the one I have now. But that's the challenge is to find that crispiness, you know, that little bit of natural sweetness. 
I do like a little tang. You know, I, I'm not like I'm not personally a big sourdough pizza guy. Like I I make sourdough pizza and I make sourdough bread all the time. But uh, when it comes to pizza crust, I don't really want it to taste just like my sourdough bread. Like for me, it's just a, it's a different thing. Right. right. Uh, but you do get some of that when you use a pre-ferment like a biga or a pulish. Uh, the flavor just gets more complex. You know, I hate to use that word complex for things like food, but I guess it's warranted sometimes. Um, you know, it's not just one dimensional. Like I hate biting into like, you know, and I, t- I eat the crust, you know, if it's any good, the crust is my favorite part. That's the kind of person I am. Right. You bite into the crust and it's just like sweet, like, ah, like sugar sweet. Like somebody mm-hmm. dumped a box of sugar in there. That's what I don't like. At least you can probably tell I'm not into a whole lot of toppings. Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. I think you just ruin the pizza when you throw too much stuff on top. It seems like toppings are inversely proportional to the quality of the Totally. Crust. They're trying to hide <laughs> They're trying to hide right. everything else. <laughs> like, if you yeah, go a place I, and, and they have, like, 15 toppings, like, chances are. <laughs> it's like, what are you bread. trying to prove, you know? And what are you trying to hide? Like, you know, so I guess another part of pizza that is kind of, like, contested or whatever, there's a lot of area around, like, um like the sauce, right? How have you played around with that? Like that aspect of it? What have you found that you really yeah. like? Well, there's Bianco di Napoli tomatoes. I don't know if you've seen those. They're canned. No. They're great. Um, right. They're not really easy to get and they're not cheap, you know? Um, uh, Bianco, that's um, Chris Bianco and Rob di Napoli. Uh, Chris Bianco, of course, is a great pizza guy. He's out in Phoenix. So he's originally from New York. He's got a couple cookbooks out i mean he's big time and he's great dinopoli you know has a tomato company so they went into this business and they're organic tomatoes and they're really good they're like naturally sweet and delicious you can get them at whole foods actually you know like i've seen them there but as far as like buying them in bulk or you know you kind of have to have a distributor and all that but those are great you know as, as a general rule i don't cook my sauce if i use canned tomatoes Mm-hmm. I put it through a food mill, you know, just like a one of those food mills you turn and like a potato ricer kind of. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if anything, I add a little bit of salt, and that's it. I don't, I don't like to mess with it because number one, it's going to cook on the pizza, so I don't right. see why you need to cook it twice. You know, if you're using good canned tomatoes, and that can vary, like it's seasonal, and different brands taste better at different times, and so you kind of have to sample. You know, that's like what uh, Brian talks about with dough. It's like every lot of flour is different. Even if it's the same company, like you can't just count on this thing to taste a certain way. So sometimes I'll add a little salt to the sauce. Sometimes I won't because I'm like, oh, these are salty enough on their own. Uh, and if they're sweet, you know, like you want a tomato to be sweet and canned tomatoes to be sweet. Uh, so that's like a kind of important, you know, finding naturally sweet canned tomatoes that don't have sugar added. That that always adds a nice thing to the, you know, you have the acidity of the tomato, but a little sweetness, too, is really nice. Yeah, but I don't add anything to it other than that, you know. Like, I don't even put olive oil in it. You know, I put olive oil on almost all my pizzas when I make the pizza, you know. Like, as a topping, yeah. Yeah, and I'll usually you do it before put you a little cook? bit on before. Yeah, uh, and after sometimes, because it's a different flavor, you know. Like, mm-hmm. so, that's kind of like tr- a traditional margarita. The way that would be made traditionally is, you know, you put down the sauce, of course, and then you, you can, or some people would like to put it on at the end, but 
old school, I think they would put the basil on after the sauce. Then you throw down a little dusting of parm or Romano cheese. And then you put the mozzarella and then you top it with olive oil and put it in the oven. And then when you take it out of the oven, once it's fully cooked, right before you slice it, you can put um, some fresh basil on that hasn't been cooked on there. And like I said, some guys only put it on. And I actually like both ways. And then a little bit more olive oil at the end. And it's like that fresh, you know, it's just like when you're making a salad, you know, that olive oil tastes totally different than when you cook it kind of like adds more complexity like both flavors <laughs> and then for cheese i guess like the uh-huh. final or whatever um where are you on that because i know some folks are like you know you you got to use uh you know the fresh buffalo mozzarella or mm-hmm. um some people like the uh was it the low moisture type um, low moisture right yeah well i mean it depends if you're trying to do traditional neapolitan then you want to use fresh mozzarella. It doesn't have to be buffalo. Like even in Naples, man, there aren't that many guys that are using straight up. Uh, most of them are using what they call fior di latte, which is it's it's made the same. It's the same process, and it's really good cheese, but it's not the buffalo milk. Um, it's it's cow's milk, so it's, it doesn't have that gamey. Not, you know what I mean? Like it's a little tangy, yeah, yeah. Uh, different. Definitely, I'm into both. I mean, I actually like a combination. A lot of guys are doing that. Mm-hmm. A combination of what, you know, if you want to be fancy, you can call it aged mozzarella. It's basically a little moisture, you know. Right. And the combination of the fresh. That's that's always nice because it's two different flavors. And a lot of guys will do that. They'll put, like, the, the drier, shredded stuff down first, and then they'll put, like, little, you know, pinches of fresh mozzarella on top of that. And that's kind of a nice combo. I use mostly fresh. I make fresh mozzarella at home, you know, from curd, you know, I mean, you can make it from milk, of course. Technically it's not legal to sell like in, in the U S the, I guess it's the FDA or whatever. Uh, you know, you're not supposed to make it from the, the, the very basics. You, you got to buy the curd. You're allowed to make the mozz from the curd. So, that's not a difficult process. We used to do that at Galley. I mean, they still do it at Galley. So I like to make my own mozzarella from that. Uh, so you can at least adjust how much salt you want, and you can stretch it the way you like it. So it's hopefully not tough like some places. And, yeah, you got to be careful with cheese, just like sauce. I mean, when people say they want extra sauce or extra cheese, it can be really detrimental, in my opinion, to the overall um to the health of the pizza because, you know, like, especially if you're using fresh mozzarella, it's kind of wet and that's going to, it just gets, it, it's just not, you're not being respectful to the dough anymore. And I get Mm -hmm. upset. It affects the way the dough cooks, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, and you're also taking a chance that you're going to get a hole in it because, you know, the wetter it gets while it's cooking, eventually that can work through the, the dough, you know, if it's, like, you know, a whole lot of wet mozzarella on there, a whole lot of sauce. Right. There's like a certain amount. Like if you're making a margarita, you want less sauce. If you're making a, a marinara, which is the one with no cheese, I, I love mm-hmm. those. They're one of my favorites. And it's all that is traditionally is sauce, garlic, uh, some oregano, maybe some basil. It's really basic. And you can add a little salt 
but there's no cheese. And so it, just to keep the thing weighted down, because, you know, if you shape a pizza disc, like a dough ball into a, into a disc and put it in the oven without anything on top, it's going to, it basically becomes pita bread, you know, like it blows up, which is really cool. I mean, you can make pita bread that way, <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with it. But if you want a pizza where you have the center is basically flat and the sides, the cornicione, the crust, you know, puff up, then you have to put something on it in the middle. And so if it's just basically sauce, you need more sauce Mm. to hold it down. It's tricky. Like a marinata is not easy to make, even though it's like the simplest one, because the ratio of sauce to everything else has to be pretty precise. And then you got to be careful when you're turning it that you don't spill the sauce all over the oven. That would be terrible. That would probably be pretty hard to do in your um, your 90-second oven. Yeah, it's tough because, yeah, you're turning it, and it's not really set yet. So. Oh, wow. That's why you need a big cornichone to hold it all in the middle, you know, so it doesn't spill over the sides. This mill that you said you, you got, um, yeah. what are you experimenting on as far as that? Like, So you're grinding your own wheat now? Yeah, so the mill is the, the the brand I have, and there are different brands. I have a Mach mill, M O C K mill. Uh, it's a Wolfgang Mach. He's a German. He uh, developed this uh, mill for essentially home use. I have the 100, which is definitely like for home use. You can ha- then there's like the 200, and what that means is, uh, I think it's just like you can either uh, mill 100 grams per minute, or in the case of the 200, 200 grams of flour per minute. So it's that you can use more for like a micro bakery or small restaurant. But, but yeah, so it's awesome, man. Uh, the way I incorporate it is, and I think most guys that I know, um, you, you have like a basic flour that you use. Like I use King Arthur, essentially bread flour. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's actually special patent. That's kind of like my go-to foundation. So you could do like 50, if you, if you're using baker's percentages, you could say like, 50% of the flour is going to be, this isn't really a baker's percentage, but 50% of the flour is going to be King Arthur. And then you could do 20% fresh milled spelt, 10% rye, and then another 20% wheat, you know? So it's really cool. And it, it makes such a difference, like five or six percentage points, though in one way or another, it changes the whole flavor profile of the dough. If you're milling it yourself, then, of course, you sift it because all the bran is in there, and the bran is awesome, but it's not so awesome when you're trying to, you know, bran will inhibit the gluten uh, development when you're kneading it, for instance, or mixing it or whatever. So you can sift the bran out, and then you can soak the bran, and you can add it later back into it because if you soak it, it won't cut the gluten strands, you know, because it's more malleable that way. But yeah, there are different ways to do it, but I like all the bran in there and that makes it sweeter. It also ferments faster when you do fresh milled stuff. Really? Like if you're, if you use, yeah, it just, the, the enzymes are still like thriving in there. So when you mill it from the wheat berries, and this is true of like most whole grain flour anyway, the enzymatic activity is, happens a lot faster. So you know, I'm not a scientist, so I'm probably talking some trash that I don't know about here. But my experience <laughs> is, uh, yeah, the, the the fermentation goes so much faster that way and better, healthier um, than if you're using, like, flour that's been sitting on a shelf for half a year. You know what I mean? 
does that seem to affect the way it cooks too? Like, like, so if you're using like one of those mix, like the, like where, you know, you've got some spelt in there, you've got some rye, does that affect the way that it, uh, browns? Yeah, it can definitely. Yeah. Like wheat, wheat flour, for instance, I mean, it will brown, but it doesn't crisp up like white flour does. And that's true to a lesser degree with spelt uh, a little bit. It usually will brown very nicely with that combination. Uh, and rye adds a great flavor. The problem with rye, of course, is it tends to be dense. And uh, so that's why you don't make like 100% rye bread pizza. Like it's not going to work, you know, because um, <laughs> it's very, <laughs> I mean, I would eat it, you know, but it, it's going to be very little gluten developed. It, uh, you know, I love making like 100% rye bread. And it's sort of like you have to really hydrate it because that's the other thing with these types of uh, grains and these flours. Like they soak up the water. So like if you're if you're used to using like 100% bread flour to make your pizza, you can make it at 65% hydration and it's and that's fine. But if you if you added 20% whole wheat to that of the of the total amount of flour, if it was 20% whole wheat, you'd have to up the hydration you know, I don't know, at least 5% because it just sucks up all the water. It's just the, the, the nature wow. of that, of that flower. So it, it changes that, um, the chemistry of it. And that's something, you know, you learn about with experimentation, but yeah. So like with a rye bread, you know, I was making rye bread that was definitely over a hundred percent. Like there was more water than flour in it. And it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't <laughs> guess that it was. It's kind of crazy when it gets up, but there are guys that do that all the time. They use like make like 110 percent hydration, so there's technically more water in the dough than flour. Yeah, it's it's pretty nuts, man. It's it's pretty cool. You got to change your cook times whenever you're using that. All varies. Like that. Yeah, that all changes too, right? But that's one of the nice things. If you're going to do a slower, lower temperature cook, then I would you know definitely recommend more water as long as the type of flour you're using can can handle more water because it'll be it'll be crispy but it won't be like a cracker. If I put the dough that I use for my rock box oven, the outdoor oven in the in my kitchen oven, it, mm-hmm. it would it it comes out like a cracker because it's just too low of a hydration to to be baked at that temperature. Now sometimes that's cool. Like sometimes if I have extra dough, I'll take mm-hmm. two dough balls. You should try this if you're making pizza at home and you have dough. Um Take a dough ball and flatten it out the way you would to make a single pizza. And then take another dough ball and flatten out so it's roughly the same size. Put olive oil on top of the first flattened out disc, you know, the pizza, and then lay the second one on top and put that in the oven. About halfway through the baking process, so, you know, it's definitely set and it's browning, but it's not like totally done. Take it out right. and you'll be able to lift the first one off because the oil in between kept them from baking together. Then you lift the first one off and you put something like cooked escarole or or like uh, some kind of meat, ham or whatever if you want, or just cheese. Like then you put mozzarella cheese and then you put the one on top again. And you put it back in the oven. Basically, you're making a sandwich. I'm sorry. I'm just explaining a sandwich now. But <laughs> but it's awesome because it's like a sandwich that you baked, you know, the whole time from raw dough. You could basically make like a grilled cheese and ham sandwich this way. But you're starting with raw dough. 
everything that's on top gets really crispy. So like the bottom and the top disc, they're really crispy on the outside. But on the inside, because you added things that release steam, you know, like whether it be vegetables or cheese or whatever, the inside stays like gooey, you know, for lack of a better word. I don't know. So it's like crunchy and gooey. Oh, man, it's so good. I love doing so that do you, when I have extra dope balls. Do you, like, just wake up in the middle of the night with, like, ideas of... Yeah, all the time. <laughs> I had all my best ideas for songs when I was washing dishes. Like, that's what I would do in restaurants. I read something about Alex Chilton, that, you know, like, the big star, Alex Chilton. Like, he, uh, yeah. all his life, he was, like, working in restaurants as a dishwasher. And he loved it. And it's because he said he wrote songs that way. And I, I see what he's saying. It's like, when you're doing this, like, sort of this repetitive task, you know, and you don't really have to focus your brain power on it. Like, you can just right. be like, you know, got to get these dishes washed, but, you know, it's not the end of the world. And then your mind can go somewhere else where you're actually thinking about something you want to do and create something. So, yeah. Sometimes sleeping, I do that too. Like I wake up and I have a what I think at the time is a good idea. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes it's really bad, but yeah, sometimes it's a good idea, and uh, and then you forget it because you didn't write it down and you hate yourself. That's no, you know that's that's the uh, it's basically like a, the way a mantra works in like meditation, like the way that you're talking <laughs> yeah, about like yeah. the dishwashing because it's just you're saying this thing to trick your mind into stopping thinking, you know, basically Very, so that yeah. you can kind of just free your mind up to whatever you say. You do meditation? I yeah, yeah I mean, I've, can, I've dabbled. I've dabbled in meditation. <laughs> right. I'm not real successful at it. It's it's a real challenge for me to get my mind to sit still. You know. I bet it's coming up with pizza ideas and. <laughs> But that's why I, I, I should meditate more because I I would definitely benefit from keeping my mind still and yeah mindfulness that's the thing I need yeah, more a, of. But anyway, it's a hard thing to learn, <laughs> especially you know it's, I think it's hard too when you're a really creative person because like you know like when you have these ideas and you kind of get like kind of working through some of these ideas, you know, like you'll get an idea and then you're kind of stuck kind of ruminating on it. I mean, that's the thing I've noticed to myself is that I'm, I'm kind of always kind of like low key working on like three, maybe ideas at a time <laughs> that like, are those yeah. kinds that you might just wake up and be like, Oh, I just figured it out or wake up and just be more troubled by it or something. <laughs> yeah. That is how it happens. Isn't it? Like uh, if you try really hard to fix, to find a solution to something, it's not going to come to you. And, but, that process is important. And then what I find is it's, it's soon after I've given up, <laughs> you know, like I'm right. like, all right, well, I can't figure it out. And then it hits me. It's like, Oh my God, that's the answer. I mean, but I think it's the process of working really hard at it. And then also the, the release of it, letting it go. Like when you realize, yeah, maybe I'm just not going to figure this out. And then somehow it's like your brain then can relax to the point where it can actually figure it out. My thing is that if I don't get uh, like obsessively into a, a project or some sort of a a challenge, you know, then I don't want to say I get depressed, but, you know, I need something to focus on. Mm -hmm. And if I don't have that thing to work through, yeah, maybe it's not the best that my mind is just sitting there with nothing. To, you know, it's like it's easy to get kind of down, you know? Yeah. Now I feel you on that. Our brains really aren't designed to deal with kind of like the low level of crisis, like the love, mm, like the yeah. almost no crisis that we have to face in kind of modern day life. 
Um, like we're usually having to like, Oh, if I don't find food right now, I'm going to fucking die. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I need to do that. And so like evolutionarily, like we need these, like some kind of struggle going on. Yeah. Yeah. And if not, then we kind of, yeah, either manufacture them for ourselves or, you know, just really kind of feel like placeless. And so like having pursuits, especially when they're like inner directed, against some like mm-hmm. variable in the outside world, like making pizza or, you know, doing other, some other type of chemistry. I mean, that's, that's really what <laughs> baking is. It's basically a form of chemistry. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, that's an interesting struggle to be in. And it's also interesting because there's no, you know, you can decide when you're, well, I mean, you can't really decide. You will decide when you're done. Like at a certain point you'll be like, okay, I've conquered this. I mean, you can't really yeah, right. like choose to do that, but never your happens. brain will be like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> I'm figuring <laughs> right. it out, you know, and then you can move on. But, um, so you got this thing going on with, uh, your wife, where, uh, she's playing the uh, violin and you're going to be doing pizzas. Are, are you going to be doing any kind of, have you thought about doing any pop-ups or anything? Like if folks want to listening, want to try and get their hands on a pizza from you, how would they go about doing that? <laughs> Yeah, that's what. It, that's the next step, and, and I kind of promised Ellen. I promised my wife that if if all goes well with this, with our little backyard concert slash, you know, making a few pizzas for a family, like if, if if I feel like, hey, I can handle this, and and not hate myself for like not making something that I think is good, then right. we then the next step will be more like pop ups and stuff. Yeah, I had I have had a few people ask me like, hey, I want to try this pizza you're putting up here all the time, and you know, right. I'm like upsetting people and it's, I just want everybody to know it's not because I don't love everybody. It's because I don't want to give away stuff. I don't think is good, you know, or, right. or even better yet, sell stuff. I don't think is good, but yeah, I definitely want to do that. Like that's the next step. I just don't know exactly how I'm going to go about it. I got to feel good about it first. You know, um, that's always important as you know, like if you're doing something you don't feel good about, that can be terrible. That's, that's the challenge now, but I feel pretty good about the, the the prospects and the fact that this is going to give me, you know, this is going to force me to work through this and get to a point where I'm like, yeah, I think I got this figured out enough at least that I can present it to more people. Right. And hopefully they'll like it. That's always everything I end with is hopefully they'll like it. And that concludes my interview with Justino Riccio. I'd like to thank him for taking the time to talk with me. You can find more about Justino on his Instagram at username spelled G-I-U-S-T-I-N-O-R-I-C-C-I-O. And you can find his wife's Instagram, who he will be doing the violin and pizza events with, at username Backyard Violinist. For more episodes like this, check out VariousThingsPodcast.com or search us on your favorite podcasting app. This has been Various Things. Thanks for listening.